All right, let's grab our Bibles. We'll open up to Revelation 21. Someone had high hopes of getting through the entire chapter this morning, but it is not going to happen. So we're going to address the first eight verses together here. Now, if you're just picking up with us in Revelation... And join us here, that's okay. You just missed a lot of crazy over the last six months of studying the tribulation. Finally, Jesus now returns, kicks some Satan butt, all those who've chosen to rebel against him. And we see this morning in chapter 21, John now sees what? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with man, and he, dwell, he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. I look forward to this, guys. And then verse 4 tells us that he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega, the beginning and end. And I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Do you thirst this morning? I'm thirsty. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But... The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wow, a lot here, a lot here. I love considering heaven, guys. <laughs> heaven coming to earth. This is going to be pretty awesome. And I really wanted to preach to that, but there's so much here in the context. I listened yesterday to a study by David Hawkins. I'm going to post it on our Facebook later today. And he just thoroughly gets into heaven and what the Bible says to it. There's over 700 references to heaven in the Bible. A lot to be said to that. And I listened to it yesterday and was thoroughly encouraged and so looking forward to finally being <laughs> with God in heaven as a result. So you guys will be blessed by him. I've been listening to him as we've been going through Revelation. Great teacher. But anyways, we're considering here this metropolis, this mother city, okay? Metropolis in the olden days, Bible times, ancient sense of the word, referred to the mother city, a very large city. We would say New York City is a metropolis, right? It's referred to as metropolis during the day, but Gotham at night, right? Uh, this big, huge city. So what does this new metropolis look like? That's one question as I read this. What does it look like? I can't wait, 
Okay. If this is what God's been preparing, Jesus has been preparing for us and it is coming. What is it going to, what is a sky city going to look like? Does it have jetpacks underneath that it comes to like, what's, what is it like? I don't know if you guys have ever asked those questions, but there's a lot that comes to it. Like what's the center? What makes the city so awesome? Who are the citizens that live in this city? What privileges do they have living in this city? And what blessed assurances do they have for being a part of this city? So we always have that thought of the ideal city. A lot of us moved where we live today because, hey, that's a good place to live. I see a lot of people today in light of their cities going through crazy riots and a lot of stupidity up and selling their houses and we're out of here. We're moving out of town. We're moving out of state actually. And aren't we always looking for a better city, a better state, a better place to live? Some of us are getting a little older. It's cold here. Where can I move where it's nice and warm? Let me tell you what, this city I'm sure is going to be 68 degrees all the time. That's what I like. If you like it 70, it will be 70 for you. I don't know. But the reality is this, I don't want to call it a utopia. Utopia is a sense of things being perfect, right? It has a great environment. There's harmony and everything is finally the best that it can possibly be. But the problem with utopia, if you literally look at what it means, utopia means no place, right? The place doesn't exist. Guys, this exists. This is really going to happen. Heaven is coming, right? A new world. This is so awesome. Okay? New, new, new. You're going to hear the word new. I don't know how many times through this chapter. If you're bored, you can count them as we go through. It comes up all the time. But think through our emotions for a second when we think about something being new. For you guys know your pastor well, you know I like new shoes, okay? I'm cursed. I don't know what, I've had this problem since I was a child, okay? Sonny's laughing over here. She's like, if you came and saw my husband's closet, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I should have been a girl. I love shoes. <laughs> Anyways, but there's something about something new. I know people get excited about a new car or, hey, a new house. Do you guys know people are so tripping out about being quarantined in home? People are buying houses like crazy right now. And it's not because they really need a new house. They're just sick of what they have. And this is a new thing and that's just really really exciting for us right new babies we get stoked about that a new job a new phone did you check it out this gadget is red it's new guess what they're gonna have a new one in six months guarantee you know they got us we like new things okay you guys who like to cook guess what i got a new recipe right we love trying new things a new city so our brains we're 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 attracted to that novelty of new things. That's just the way we're wired. I read an article this week called Science Confirms You Like New Things Just Because They Are New. We're just wired for new, guys. That's the way it is. So do you guys understand when we read stuff like this? Do you understand as believers when we have this hope and we're crying, Maranatha, come quickly, Jesus. I want the new Hey, I want to be with you where all things are new, that we're done with the old, the past, this life that doesn't satisfy, doesn't do. Because I know there's something better and it's new. So we have this new 
in verse 1 and 2. And we're going to see this over and over, okay? And John tells us to see here. Have you guys caught how, over 50 times as we've been studying through Revelation, John is telling us, see, see. Do we have eyes to see what's been going on here? Why do we want to see? Because it brings us hope. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and who are our eyes to be fixed upon? It's upon Jesus, guys. Even this new city and how cool it is. I don't want to be there unless Jesus is there. That's what's going to make this city so cool. So the new heaven and new earth, the verse 1 that we see here, they're made new. Okay, A renovation is going to take place. A global rehab project. Okay, You've heard of urban renewals or global renews or universal renewal. I love 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah. Let's turn there. Isaiah 65. Okay. Isaiah saw God one day doing a very new thing. Okay, so, so Isaiah the prophet in chapter 65, verse 17, for behold, this is the Lord speaking, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. The Bible teacher, preacher, I have a hard time with this verse. I've struggled with this verse since I was a young man. What do you mean I'm not going to remember? Okay? I would like to remember Kakana someday. I used to not want anything to do with Kakana because I grew up a few cities over and this city just smelled funny. <laughs> but I bought a house and fixed it up with my wife our first house we still live there we're raising our family there there's been good memories right here in Kakana I'm going to want to remember these things how am I not going to be able to remember those things I'm okay forgetting all the painful horrible things in this life but there's some good things that I want to be able to remember and you're telling me in this scripture we're not going to remember those things I don't know how it works out guys I still struggle with this verse to be honest with you all I can conclude is the new heaven and new earth is going to be so rad, we're not going to even care. That's probably what's going to happen. Wow, Jesus, this is awesome. Yeah, that all stunk. Who cares, <laughs> right? Doesn't even compare. Even our nice little cute house, it's burnt now. <laughs> you know, Jump over one more chapter. His God reiterates here in chapter 66, verse 22 of Isaiah 4. As the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants remain with me. So Jesus really wants to make a point of, hey, I'm going to make a new heaven and new earth. It's not just a thing that we find in the book of Revelation. No, the prophet 100 years ago was speaking the same thing. Now let's start heading back to Revelation and we'll stop in Second Peter along the way because even the apostle Peter spoke to this truth. He tells us in chapter 3, 2 Peter, chapter 3, we'll take a look at verses 12 and 13 here. And he tells us that we are waiting for the hastening and the coming day of God. We sure are, aren't we? I'm waiting. Could it be today? Jesus could come for his church at any time, okay? And I can't wait to be with him. And I can't wait to see then when he returns and this new heaven and new earth come. We, 
Look forward to this. And then it goes on to tell us in verse 12, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. What? And the heavenly bodies will be melt or melt as they burn. What? It's all going to burn? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Man, it's all going to burn, guys. Have you ever heard that before? It's because it's biblical. It's true. It's going to. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And who's going to occupy that? Believers. Children of God. His family for all time. So, we were told, let's go back to Revelation 21. I am sorry for any of you men who like to fish. By the way, great opportunity to plug our men's retreat coming up October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. 100 bucks out in Westfield, Wisconsin, about an hour and 15 minutes away. Camp Fairwood, we are going to be doing a men's retreat, and the theme is coming around, go, or sorry, what is it? Matthew 4, 19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, okay? So we're going to have a fishing theme uh, around that. I got a couple pastor friends that are going to be coming in with their fellowships to be a part of it. Uh, It's going to be good. I encourage all you men to come out for that, Um, but for you fishermen, this might be a hard scripture right here when it says there's no more sea. But wait a minute. I like my fishing pole. <laughs> I don't want to be able to go fish. What do you mean? There's, there's going to be a river, right? We read of that there in the New Jerusalem. But as far as, you know, sea, it's going to be different during this time. And I think it's kind of cool. Where's John when he's writing this? He's on a little bitty island surrounded by sea there on Patmos. Okay, kind of like a prison, right? We can't kill you, Apostle John. We tried to boil you to death in some tar, but it didn't work. So we're just going to send you to this island. Great. I'm so glad he went there because we have this awesome book that we've been studying. Uh, got this revelation. But for the seed, you guys know that it covers almost 70% of our planet. Just gone. Okay. Well, what does an ocean do? Well, we have the salty brine of the ocean actually purges, cleanses, and preserves things here upon the planet, okay, making it fit for you and I to live here. But do you guys think that's going to be needed with the new heaven and new earth? No way, okay? That continuous cycle, does. look at verse 2. This new city, this great city, metropolis, the sky city that's coming, it's going to be perfect, We've been studying Babylon the last couple of weeks in chapters 18 and 19 there, okay? Worldly system, wicked, evil. Man, this is holy. Righteousness dwells there. There's a rad, radical contrast from the evil, the fallenness of this world. The New Jerusalem has been long called the holy city, but finally it's deserving of the title here, okay? The city had been called not that long ago Sodom. In chapter 11, verse 8. Okay, but now it's the new Jerusalem. God builds it himself. Okay. Um, the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 13, verse 14, about the city to come. And he said, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's the city that we are seeking, brother and sister. We're not living for the here and now. We are strangers pilgrims just passing through if you're a believer in christ man we're just passing through our citizenship is in heaven 
Okay? We have a lot to look forward to. If you haven't bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if you haven't been saved, this is the best it gets for you. Enjoy it. It's going to burn soon. I mean, that's it. Um, I love Hebrews. Anyways, uh, the end of the world, okay? Um, as we define it, is actually a starting point for something completely new and better, okay? Um, so her husband is pleased. Again, the prophet Isaiah 62.5 says, And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I love it. So this new humanity that we're seeing in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 here, okay, is really speaking to what God is going to do new. It's all going to be new. We're going to be new. A new living situation in verse 3. Uh, we have a relationship with God now, a right relationship with him the way it was supposed to be. You know, we have relationship with Jesus Christ now. But if we're honest, it's going to be very different when we are glorified as he is, right? To have relationship with him in that way when he is literally right here with us. And that's what we're going to get. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, we know that while we are at home in our body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Well, away becomes with, and faith become sight guys that's what's going to happen here and we look forward to that so this is it it could only keep you know we could only keep one scripture in all of revelation or at least i would probably keep this one because this is what it's all been building up to this is our hope this is what we're looking forward to this is what jesus is going to do and i believe it's going to be one day soon we look forward to this so God's whole purpose is to be with his people, and now it is achieved. I like what the Message Bible said here. It put it this way. I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God's moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people, and they're his God. I love it. So we think of us going to heaven, don't we? But this is also a reminder of him wanting to be, to live, to commune with us. Are you seeing the heart of your God in this passage? He longs to be with us. Yeah, we long to go home to be with him, but he wants to be with us. So finally, residence with God here, united with God. The most important thing about this heavenly reality that awaits us, guys, it's not going to be the absence of sin. Evil's gone. No, it's going to be the presence of God himself. That's what's going to make it so good. It's kind of like Merry Christmas all the time. Emmanuel, right? God with us. He is here all the time. Christmas year round, right? Um, so God made man to be with him, to enjoy fellowship with him let me say that again god has made us to have fellowship with him to enjoy him forever i love it so there's some new emotions that come out in verse four for you and i did you guys catch this god will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death there shall be no more sorrow there shall be no more crying 
There shall be no more pain, for former things have passed away. So he will wipe away every tear. God himself has pledged to do this himself. Did you guys get that? You know, sometimes when my kids are crying, my wife, <laughs> you wipe away those tears, right? Isn't it cool when God himself, with his hand that has these holes in them because he died upon a cross. Do you guys know that everything is made perfect in heaven, is new, except for one thing? The lamb will be scarred for all time. And that scarred hand, that reminder of the life that he laid down for you and I, his hand is going to literally touch us and he will wipe away every tear. Wow. How can you not even lose it more at that moment and even cry more like honestly? But that's what God's going to do. He's going to wipe away every tear, the compassion of God. How awesome. And then look at verse, or sorry, Psalm 56, 8 tells us the number of my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle or into your wineskin. God knows all our tears. He knows everyone we've ever shed or ever will shed. And he cares about it. And it's all going to be wiped away. So death, sorrow, crying, banished. Isn't this what we're all waiting for? Pain, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, spiritual pain. All that pain is going to be gone. Woke up this morning with a bad headache. Still there. Six weeks. Non-stop headache. Just like, when is this going to go away? I don't know when it's going to go away. But I know it's not going to last forever. Why? Because this is a reality. This is eternal. This life, guys, that's but a vapor, it's going by. Yeah, we all have our stuff. We all go through hardships. It's going to end one day. It's going to pass. Some things pass and go away in this life, and other things come. It's just part of life. But here, this is what we have, okay? No longer any pinch of pain. No longer able to speak of any suffering. No more death, but life forevermore. No more sorrow, but joy. This is what we're promised, guys. No more crying, but laughter. No more pain, but pleasure. But now... The curse, but the curse is going to be gone. You guys can flip ahead to chapter 22, verse 3. It tells us that. In this, guys, a glorified body like Christ's, I can't wait. I'm going to have hair again. <laughs> New everything. Behold, verse 5. I make all things new. You guys can circle all there. New heaven, new earth, new city, new living situation, new emotions here, new thirst quencher, new inheritance. For the believer, the future means all things new. For the unbeliever, you're stuck with your old sin. That's all you got, okay? So... In light of verse 8, guys, um, what would you like to see brand new today in your life? If you could have a do-over, let's say, what would you like to see new? Think about that. Does that even compare 
to what we're going to have or what we do have, what we are promised as being God's kids. I mean, the story, the scriptures here, just in the last couple chapters, they've come full circle. Are you guys catching this? We have human history. It started in a garden and it ends here in a city. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. The darkness he called night. There shall be no night here. God made two great lights. The city has no need of a sun or a moon. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. No more death over here. Satan appears as a deceiver. Satan disappears forever. Walk of God with man was interrupted. Walking with God is resumed. Initial triumph of a serpent. Ultimate triumph of a lamb. I will greatly multiply your sorrow. No more sorrow. Cursed is the ground for your sake. No more curse. Man's dominion broken. Man's dominion restored. First paradise closed. New paradise open. Access to a tree of life disinherited. Access to a tree reinstated. Driven from God's presence, they shall see his face. You guys see how it's coming full circle here? I love it. But pastor, (laughs) this is a ways off yet. At least seven years, if the Lord came back right now. At least seven years. We know that for sure. Because we're students of the Bible. We get it. What about now? Ain't I a new creation in Christ now? Haven't old things passed away now as a believer? Well, what about new life now? I'm so glad you guys asked. We're going to take a detour this morning to Romans chapter 6. Just for a moment. It may be a prolonged moment because this is good. We're going to look at Romans chapter 6 together, verses 6 to 14. And as we're reading through this, I want you guys to grasp a threefold strategy that the Apostle Paul lays out for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? What we are to know, what we are to consider in light of new life in Christ, and how we live that presently, okay? So there are three things that we're going to look to here. Verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Are we told in Galatians 2.20 that I have been crucified with Christ? Right? Now verse 7 tells us, For he has died has been set fr- or has been freed from sin. Now, if 
We died with Christ. We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So we are to know this truth, brother and sister. That's why we're taking a detour. We need to be reminded of this. We need to walk in the newness of life. That is what God is asking of us. But I did the past so long. That's what I know. That's how I think. No, you've been made new in Christ. Old things passed away. Don't go back there. Walk, move forward in the newness of life in Jesus Christ. So, Step one, we know. There's a knowing how his death and his resurrection affect us. Know that our old man is crucified, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me, Galatians 2.20. So, old man's crucified. But he is long at dying, isn't he? Doesn't he rear his ugly head once in a while and whisper into our ear, oh, you can still do this. Remember when those temptations just keep coming? Okay, Crucified. (laughs) Dead. Don't listen to those lies. Now, we also need to know that when death stung Jesus, it stung itself to death. Kind of like a bee, right? What happens when they sting you? Death sentence, really, for themselves. That's what happened here to death. So living, guys, the new life starts with knowing. Knowing that he died to set us free from sin. Knowing that our old self was nailed to the cross with him. Knowing that just as Jesus rose from the dead will and will live forever, we have been raised to new life that has no end. In knowing that we live no longer by the tyranny of sin. And this is the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's such good news. That's why we share it with people. Okay, Not only does the gospel rescue us from the penalty of sin, it also rescues us currently, right now, from the power of sin and will one day rescue us from the presence of sin all together. Now, Christians today, we need a radical reorientation to the now power of the gospel right now. But my hope, it's fixed on this new heaven and earth to come. It's fixed on finally being glorified with Christ where I don't even have to struggle 
with a sin nature, this old man any longer. I used to think of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we all know that, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I thought that was all about evangelism. That's it. But guys, it is for salvation, the gospel, past, future, and present right now. You see, it justifies, it sanctifies, and it glorifies. But the gospel isn't simply rescue from the past. And it doesn't only rescue us for the future, but it is the power of God that rescues us in the present. It is not just the power of God to convert us. It's not just the power of God to change us us once we're saved you see it's jesus's law fulfilling life every part of it his death okay his resurrection which guarantees for you and i that one day all things will be made new but we need to know that all of jesus's work all of it is centered in the gospel his life alone isn't the center of the gospel his death alone isn't the center of the gospel Even the resurrection isn't the center of the gospel. It's all the work of Christ. You guys understand that? It is him. And it's all that he has done and all that he is that brings redemption to you and I, guys. So, verse 11 here in Romans 6, it tells us to consider, likewise you, Speaking to Christians, you reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is both dead and alive at the same time? Me and you guys. Believers. Believers are both dead and alive. Dead to sin and alive to God. And by faith, we must live accordingly. This is how we walk in the newness of life. We need to reckon ourselves here. Reckon, consider, calculate, do the math, regard, recognize what is being laid down in the word of God. If you are new in Christ, stop walking in sin. Why? Because we're set free from it. You now get to walk in the newness of life. That's what we get to do, guys. And we do that because of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit lives within us. You see, guys, it means we get to see the truth in whatever situation you're in. What are you facing today? We all got our stuff. Each one of us. No one's exempt. I know everyone in this room, you're all going through something. You're all facing something. What's the truth in that situation? You see, it doesn't just happen here. It's something that we as believers, we can and we must do this daily. Reckon in light of me being a child of God. In light of me being called by my maker as his child to walk in the newness of life. What do I do right now in this situation? You see, Christ's death and resurrection have altered our position and we should live accordingly. That's our new reality. 
but this is all I've ever known. Well, great. (laughs) All things become new. (laughs) Start living in it. Begin to learn what that looks like. Okay? Did any of you, when you were born again, just get it all immediately? Were you sanctified right away, like completely like, oh, this all makes sense. Okay? Man. Isn't that how the old man works too? Son, (laughs) you should be farther along as a Christian. You're a pastor even. You should have it together. You're weak. You're lame. You should just go back. You should just give up. You're blowing it. Do you guys ever hear those type of voices? Those are lies. That's the old man. He's lying. That's why we need truth and stand in truth. You see, guys, when we live accordingly, okay, we're going to stand in truth. We're going to understand what the Bible says about sin (laughs) in light of who we are now as a new creation, that we are dead to it. But that we are actually to count ourselves as dead to it. Do you understand that? Okay. There's still sin, (laughs) but we as believers are dead to it. We can't just say, oh, sin doesn't even exist anymore. I'm exempt. Okay. Man, that's just pride. That's foolishness. Man, you say you have no sin. You're a liar. Well, that's harsh to say, Pastor. No, it's what the Word of God says. It's a very real thing. But we need to stand in the truth and understand that the Bible's called us to be dead to it. The sin of an unbeliever is a natural consequence of the fact that he's a slave to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free, brother and sister. The sin of a believer is quite out of character. Because we've been set free. We're alive to God. Did you guys read that here? We are alive to him. So we've not only been free from something, but we've been freed for something. We are now free to love. We now get to serve God. Think about that. So what have we put our hands to? (laughs) What are we plowing? What are we working at? Is it loving God? Loving others, serving him, serving others. That's what we're free to do now, guys. I think of Lazarus. You guys remember the guy who died and Jesus brought him back to life? Yeah. I think of his life, um, <clears throat> death, and then he was alive again. I think it's a good picture of this concept. You guys remember Jesus raised him from the dead and he said, loose him, let him go, Right? Lazarus left the grave, okay, got rid of his grave clothes, and began a new life. We get to do that, brother and sister. Consider, recognize, remind that you are dead. Remind ourselves that we're dead to sin and alive to Christ. And that brings us to verse 13 here. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. It says, Do not go presenting your members or your parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness or weapons. So to be this instrument, tool, a weapon, okay? Sin is regarded as a sovereign in verse 12, that reign, right? Who demands that military service of its subjects present your members. So don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Pretty simple. So present 
to put one at one's disposal to place beside. Charles Spurgeon said this, the most useful members of a church are usually those who would be doing harm if they were not doing good. Wow. Think about that. I get to walk in the newness of life. I get to be about God's business. I get to serve Him and live for Him. That's good stuff. But when I'm living for myself and what I want, then things get ugly. You guys know that self always equals sin? I still can't see a scenario, at least biblically speaking, where it doesn't. Always. Because pride gets mixed up in that. Okay? And it's just ugly. Now, I want us to remember Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. I hope you guys are getting this. That's the gospel. I'm not talking about character formation. I'm not talking suck it up and be a good Christian. No, I'm talking about this. If you are born again of the Spirit of God, this is who you are in Christ. Just live it. Do it. You see, verse 14, guys, has sin dominion over you? That's the question. Okay? So the believer not only hates sin, but has the power not to sin. You guys know that you can say no. So sin doesn't own us, even though it still tries, right? Christ owns us. Don't we call him Lord? Don't we call him Master? He has won the victory over sin and death for us. And one day in heaven, we're going to realize the fullness of that victory. But for now, there's a battle raging. Okay? Legalism says God will love us okay, if we change. I want nothing to do with legalism. I'm not preaching legalism. I'm preaching the gospel to you guys. We need to cling to it because the gospel being under God's grace says God will change us because in Christ he infinitely loves us. There's a big difference. And it's not behaving better, it's believing better. You see, become increasingly more aware of who, of who you are in Christ. That's what we need to do. And how do I do that, Pastor? You get into the Word of God. That's where right thinking comes from. Because our thinking can get messy. And we can listen to a whole lot of other people's opinions on stuff rather than the one that actually matters. What does God say? So, what does Christ also re- He's already secured you. We know that. But it does not say anywhere in here becomes something you're not. Did you guys read that anywhere in this passage? No. Okay, it says become practically what you already are positionally. You are a child of God. You are a saint. You are holy. But I feel dirty. Guess what? (laughs) Doesn't matter how you feel. You are holy. Period. This is who we are in Christ. And we get to live that way. So, 
Our problem, saints, is not thinking we can earn God's favor. I know we know better than that. No, our daily struggle is thinking that we can keep God's favor. Well, if I go to church today, then he'll be pleased with me. Aren't you glad I came, God? Are you going to be good to me now? We can't do that, guys. We can't earn his favor. Our hearts are naturally bent on trying to maintain favor with God, sustaining a performance-driven relationship with him. See, we must depend on the gospel. It always comes back to believing the gospel. And we must depend upon his grace. It's not by works we are saved. It's by the grace of God. So, we must depend upon it. We must focus more introspectively on our sin and our need to improve than we do Christ's victory over sin and we're guaranteed success. See, if you focus more on sin than the Savior, we're in trouble. And we have a tendency to want to do that. You will become a neurotic narcissist. That's what happens. And I see so many Christians that are crippled by their sin. Why? Because it's all they're looking at. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation in Christ. Get over yourself in your sin. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Okay? It's the Savior we need to look. See, when we focus on our sin, that's miserable. When we think, and then we think we're miserable, you know, being miserable is a good thing as a Christian. Woe is me, you know. I stink so bad because I'm stinking, I'm humble. No, it's just gross. Stop looking at the sin. You look at Jesus. So did you guys catch it here? We need to know, okay? That's the first one. Who you once were, okay? You've been crucified with Christ. You're a new creation. And then we're to consider, recognize, remind yourself that you are dead to sin and you are alive to Christ. And then thirdly, present in this new life to God for his glory, right? For his service. Those are the three things that we can really pull from this passage. So this side of heaven, guys, sin will always be with us, but so will the truth of Christ saving us from it. That's what we live in. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 21 and we'll wrap this up this morning. We're going to look at verse 6 here. There's a new thirst quencher that we find here. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Do you obey your thirst? I forget which soda that was. <laughs> that was a slogan. And every time I'd see that commercial, I'd always think of this scripture. It's just like, yeah, I need to obey my thirst. It's not this soda that's going to quench it. Okay. Because I've learned, I've lived long enough upon this planet in this life to know that the things I think that are going to quench my thirst just keep leaving me thirsty. It doesn't really ultimately satisfy because I'm going to want more. And because you're good at marketing, you're going to get a bunch of my money because that's how foolish we are. 
And that's why we're called to drink deeply of Jesus, because he alone can satisfy, guys. You see, so when we consider verse 6 here, we have, you know, the best of the world's pleasures are going to leave us thirsty. We're never truly satisfied. And the ultimate satisfaction I think you and I are looking for is inner peace. Would you guys agree with me? Isn't that the thing we most long for? Absolutely. I mean, you look at any beauty pageant, you know, the winner, they always ask questions, and what would you like to see? World peace. That's what we want, right? (laughs) We're all looking for world peace. So where does that come from, guys? Well, it only comes from the water of life. And it's free. It's with no cost, right? It's free. We see that in chapter 22, also verse 17. And that's why it's beckoning, he's beckoning us to come to him. So one prerequisite here for you and I, we need to come thirsty. Did you come thirsty to church this morning? Or did you come just say, hey, this is what I do. I got to go through the motions. What was your agenda in coming today? Was it to drink deeply of Jesus? If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. It's about Jesus. We always try to keep things about Jesus. Why? Because it's all about him. He's the one that satisfies. He's our hope. It's him, God himself. So on earth, nothing satisfies you. No wealth. We always hear of the wealthiest of the world. They still want more. I don't get it. Good thing I'm not wealthy. (laughs) Right? We're always set. Fame, pleasures, possessions. If I just had that, I just had a new pair of shoes, I would feel better. I do like wearing new shoes. But I've had enough new pairs over the years. They don't last that long anymore. I know better. I've learned, I've tasted and seen how good God is. I enjoy them, but they don't compare to God. You guys get that? The more we treasure Christ, the more we exalt him, the more we partake and thirst for more of him the sweeter he gets and the more we know he is it to experience him to be refreshed by him and just his statement here being the alpha and the omega do you guys understand the context around what this is saying here okay the alpha and the omega of the father we saw that way back in chapter 1 verse 8 in verse 6 here and then we'll see it next week in chapter 22 verse 13 the Hebrew word for truth is hameth, which starts with aleph and ends with tav. There's some Greek scholars out there that say that the Greek goes back to the original here, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the A to the Z in English. Everything, okay? Um, so God is absolutely the beginning and he is absolutely the end, I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. But that's what he's proclaimed in his word. You see, everything ultimately originates with him, right? And everything will somehow end with him. We know God as the creator, but he's also the consummator, right? God is the first, the beginning. We're told in Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or Ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So before him, nothing, right? 
Never a time that he was not. And that's the part I struggle with. I don't get that. Okay? I know I only got three pounds of brain to work with. I'm finite, but he's infinite. And we start talking about how awesome God is. We talk about being everlasting to everlasting. My brain doesn't wrap around those things. What are we going to do for all time in heaven? I, I know a big part of it is going to be being in awe of our God. We're never going to exhaust how awesome he is. Every day we're going to be looking at him and just like, whoa, there's another facet of your coolness. You are so awesome. John the floor once again. <laughs> and that's going to go on forever and ever. So God is omega here. Okay, he ends, it ends here. God is the end for the thirsty in the context here. For he is the end of those who do not thirst too, right? So the last verse, verse 8, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part. That all liars part, man. We're good at lying, aren't we? I don't get it. Like we can go through this, well, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. Guys, we've all done something on this list. And if you're saying, no, I haven't, you're a liar. Okay, you're right there, okay? But anyways, shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So, well, not everyone makes the cut, right? So the three attitudes here that are uh, the contrast of the overcomers of John's churches, okay? We have not overcome the world system but embraced it. That's the problem. The world is telling us this. Aren't we told by Jesus it's the cares of the world that choke us out? If you've been struggling in a relationship with the Lord, what cares of the world have you given yourself to? What is choking you out from Him? I would ask you just to turn from it, get rid of it, be done. Okay? Don't allow anything to come in and to rip you off in that way. It talks about the cowardly here. Those would be the fearful, those who are afraid to confess Christ, to be a minority and a very unpopular <laughs> side of things. Do you guys know that the world is becoming more, at least our context here as Americans, anti-Jesus? You guys notice that, or am I the only one? It seems like anything goes. We can tolerate everything, except for you born-again believers who want to stand upon the word of God. We're okay with everything, but you have to follow suit. You Christians, and it's going to get worse, guys. Persecution's coming. You know, we can fight for our freedoms, but let me tell you what. Persecution's going to happen, even in the freest of countries. Because let me tell you what, guys. The world hated me they're going to hate you. Yeah, our freedoms may be infringed upon. Let me tell you what, when things were pretty free and good, people still hated me. <laughs> they just hate us for loving Jesus. doesn't matter. And the world wants nothing to do with him. And then we have the unbelieving, those who willingly refuse to believe with their hearts. The gospel's logical. I have a hard time when people just say, you just need to have faith. 
yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. Like, I understand that. We have a choice. We have to put our faith in it. But when people talk about it being a blind faith, like, I just need to jump in. It's ridiculous. I don't even know if there's a God. That's because you're a fool. Look at creation. Look at science that's being proven. Everything is pointing to an intelligent designer out there. Who in the heck do you think gave us all this DNA with all this information? It comes from somewhere. You've had a science class. Use the brain God gave you. Think through it. It's logical. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Have you taken time to actually look into its claims? Have you actually tried to study it and see if it's actually right or wrong? Can you actually disprove it? Or have you just heard some stupid things from people through the years and you've become brainwashed and you've bought into the lies? So you actually took it any time, you'd find out real quick it's supernatural in nature. Man, if you came out to Freedom Fellowship any time in the last seven months, they're studying the book of Revelation. Prophecy all over the place. Being fulfilled like crazy. Only God can foretell the future. And there's thousands of them in the Bible and most of them have been fulfilled. What's going on? Oh, well maybe God is legit. Maybe his word is true. And then what does Jesus say about himself? Did he prove to be who he said he was? The savior of the world, mighty to save. Did he overcome sin, death? Historically, there's accounts like crazy. He really did rise from the dead. He really did die. Can't disprove that. It's all pretty logical. Now it's on you. It's not a blind faith. You just have to have faith. No. Reckon. Do the math. Think. The most logical thing we can do is humble ourselves before our maker. But who are we to say we know better than him? That's just sin, guys. It is pride. It is an excuse to do away with God because you want to be your own God. That's why people end up in hell. They ignore the truth because they love their sin more than they love God. That's all it boils down. How do you know that? Because the Bible said that and it's pretty logical. Does that all make sense? Anyways, I'm sorry. That's just a side note. The problem is they're just unbelieving and I don't get why they're unbelieving. The gospel is the best news, the greatest good news of all time. And how can anybody say no to God that loves you like that? Who has all of this set before us for all time. New heaven and new earth. I want a part of that. I don't want any part of this lake of fire. Why would you not choose to look into these things? And the last one, we'll talk about the abominable really quick. Snowman. <laughs> yes! First service did not laugh. I love you guys. So, <laughs> oh. But anyways, these guys just, they love the stench of their own sin. Okay? Feeding their minds with everything that is vile. And we're good at that. You know, I'm sick of it. Our Netflix is canceling soon. You know, and there's been a few shows we've enjoyed, like thoroughly, like, this has been good. But almost everything on there is vile. Nope, nope. I can scroll through everything and I can't find one show. Or we start something that looks halfway decent and we're halfway into a show and it's just like, this is evil. 
This is it's just everywhere, guys. And to feed ourselves. And it's easy. We're prone to do that. I see that tendency in my own life. That's why Jesus told us to be careful. That little bit of leaven can leaven the whole lump. You know? Whether it's legalism or just abominable evil things, it doesn't matter. You give yourself to something, it just grows and grows. That's why we get to walk in the newness of life. So I want to end with a question. Why did Jesus give John this preview of eternal glory? I'm glad you guys asked. It's to encourage us as believers, guys. I hope you are encouraged this morning. Because here, guys, we get a little bitty glimpse. Even though we go through times of testing, even though we are persecuted, we find encouragement because we have a hope that is sure, that is real. We have a God with us. In the book of Revelation as a whole, it is bringing hope near. Okay, It sparks our imagination and it makes the vision real. I know this is all real. Why? Because I know Jesus. And I know he's in the business of making things new. That's what he does. You may be in your sin, unrepentive. You know what? God can make you new. If you're willing to bow the knee and call out to Jesus and ask him to forgive you, ask him to save you, you too can be made new. That's his business. And only he can do that. You can't save yourself. You can't go to church enough. You can't read the Bible enough. You can't give enough. Only Jesus can change us, guys, and bring us into eternal life. He is Savior. So, Father, we are so grateful for your word here this morning. We do thank you for the great hope, a living hope, that it speaks to us. It is very real. Thank you so much for the gift of eternal life. We love thinking on these things. We know this day could be sooner than we think, God, but we also know that you're very patient, desiring none to perish. And in your long-suffering, God, we thank you that we can walk, choose to walk in the newness of life, to walk with you, to follow you, to love you and love others, to serve you. And we want to be serving you so well that it's winning people to the kingdom, that they're provoked, maybe even jealous of what we have because they see the peace that we have with you. We know that's what the world is ultimately looking for. And we thank you that we have the good news to share with them. So help us to be bold, to be real, to stir one another up, Father, just to be about your mission, your business, God, until the day you come. Lord, we want to be faithful. I do pray for a whole lot of that grace of yours. Your word says there's grace upon grace upon grace. I pray that for each and every one of us, God. Lord, we need it. We need your help. And we're going to keep looking to you and trusting to you because there is none other. Where else can we go but you, Jesus? Thank you so much for your word here this morning. You really are the words of life. We are most blessed. Amen.